Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Shares for beginners. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. I thoroughly encourage people to consider dollar cost averaging. What does that mean? It's a fancy way of saying slowly dipping into the water over time. So 100k example, you might take 12 months to deploy that. You might automatically put into the markets every single month. And on top of that, if you then have surplus cash flow, might be 500 a month, might be 1,000 a month, whatever that may be, might be your superannuation contributions every quarter or every month paid by your employer. Whatever that may be, deploy it and just do it on an automatic basis. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Somehow markets seem to be heading upwards just as the news seems to be getting worse and worse. Higher interest rates means less money for people to spend, which will have a negative effect on company profits. There may even be a recession. But are there ways to benefit? Joining me today is a glass-half-full kind of guy, David Harvey from Saxo Markets. Hi, David. Phil, good to uh, good to see you. Yeah, thank you very much for coming over. David is the country head of direct sales at Saxo Markets. So we're in a tricky investment landscape. Haven't markets always been a little tricky to navigate? Oh, look, as I said, it, it, it's good to see you and it's good to pop over to the studios here in, in beautiful Balmain. Have they always been tricky? Probably. Yeah. Well, actually, before, before we started this um, recording, you, you said that you, were, you started at, uh, or you were working at BT yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. And it was a, a golden age, halcyon days. There were no global financial crisis. No. But there were high interest rates then, of course. Yeah, yeah, there were. And I mean, look, I, I'm a little bit of a history buff. Um, and I sort of go back to, I mean, obviously, those days, 30 years ago, those listeners that do remember Bankers Trust as opposed to BT or Westpac, it, it was halcyon, you know, and we were in the ivory towers and, um, you know, in, in the big rooms with the big screens. And, and we kind of got the sense, particularly as a young male, young man entering financial services, that um, nothing would ever go wrong. Well, of course, you know, things can. But look, have markets always been tricky? Markets have been around since sort of civilization started. Oh, you know, deep history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really showing my age. You know, the 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 Romans started to think about um, provisioning for um, wheat and grains, so mm-hmm. that they develop futures. And uh, we fast forward, I don't know, a thousand years plus, plus, and the Dutch got all caught up with the tulips. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had that problem. And invented the corporation. We had the corporation mm-hmm. come along. You know, we had um, trade, obviously. We had geopolitical sort of ructions um, as uh, empires and economies grew. So markets yeah. markets have always been tricky. I think um, if I then fast forward to probably what's a little more recent history and, and that time at BT, you know, we then went into the tech wreck. Mm-hmm. You know, we went into Y2K. 
we had um, we had Asian currency crises. The big one, of course, which is probably I think been forgotten, unfortunately, a little bit. And the most recent one was the GFC. Mm, mm. And then the topic du jour today is interest rates. Mm. And really, Phil, if you put that in context, we're probably returning to normal. Mm. The last mm. 10, 10 to 13 years have been abnormal. Post-GFC, really, really, really low interest rates, abnormally low. Yeah. And as humans, we tend to acclimatize to things pretty quickly. Mm. And that's mm. what the investor, that's what the mortgage holder, and that's what most of us, particularly Australians, have now become used to. So despite this, do you think it makes investing more difficult? I think... I don't think it makes it any more difficult. I actually think it, this is going to sound maybe a little bit glib. I think it makes it fun. Yeah. Uh, I really do. You know, I think, if I think again back as an advisor, you know, I spent a lot of, lot of years as an advisor, probably 15 plus years and the last sort of dozen plus years and then the advice to many space, which is kind of what we do at Saxo. What we do at mm. Saxo is really try and provide a platform to express an investment idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. But when I think, I think back to the times, the really heady times, you know, it was, you could literally buy anything and it would go up, you know, mm-hmm. and in a rising tide, most ships, even the leaky ones would, mm. would kind of, kind of rise. But, you know, the old adage goes in, in a falling tide or an ebbing tide, that's when we see, you know, the holes in those ships or who's not who's wearing it naked. Yeah. Well, who's not wearing any underwear. Mm-hmm. So. I actually think it's really interesting now. And I think when we we speak to our clients, um, what we know is the clients who spend a little bit more time, they do their due diligence. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's plenty of opportunity out there. You know, I I do cast my mind back again to the depths of the GSC and the Nadir. And we're on the Monopoly board. We weren't going to pass go nor collect $200. Yeah. That's exactly the time when I had clients, little old ladies buying Commonwealth Bank. I had really smart clients buying the financials. You looked at somebody like a Warren Buffett, who we all know and love and admire, wading into financials, you know, spending $5 billion in Goldman Sachs and he tripled his money in a, in, in a couple of years' time. So are we at that point of crisis now? No, and, and we don't think so at Saxo. But we are certainly at a time when one needs to be really, really prudent. And I, I think that's fun. I think it's interesting. Speaking of swimming naked, <laughs> the BNPL sector, buy now, pay later sector, mm. seems to be something. I mean, we've just seen the collapse of OPY, who's a, one of the players. And mm. it seems to me that that is a particular kind of business that has been negatively affected by higher interest rates. Mm. Yeah. Look. It's probably outside the remit of Saxo, so I'll I'll put on sort of the David Harvey hat here. Mm. Look, we've all done it. Well, okay, I've done it, you know, so I've been caught up with credit cards, you know. Um, I think back to my... Actually, really lucky I had a... Well, I still have a wonderful father who was a bank manager in a really small country town, Mm. okay? And just, just on that for a moment, you know, dad was someone you don't get to meet these days. He's a bank manager. Yeah. In a small country town. They don't exist anymore, unfortunately. But I, I was fascinated. You know, I'd, I'd sort of sprint to the bank after school. I'd sit up and dangle my feet over the little sort of stool. I had my big, big red ledger book. And in would come customers. Mm. And you'd sort of do a couple of things you don't do anymore. 
the first thing that you would do is you would count cash. Mm. Cold, hard cash. And then you would record it or you would withdraw it or you would deposit it. The other thing I would notice is when we'd spend an hour to go to shopping uh, over at Inverell or Tamworth or whatever, mum would hand over this thing called cash. Okay, mm. so there was a physical exchange. And as you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a tug on the heartstrings or the purse strings when you physically hand that over. We now live in tap and go. Okay, and, and I've noticed with my kids, 12 and 10, they're really keen to tap and that's fine. And I think there's a little reminder every single time that we're not just tapping, we're giving something away. So within that context, if I think about buy now, pay later, I probably wouldn't shoot the messenger being buy now, pay later. What I'd probably think about is the root cause. And that is that we have to have everything now as opposed to wait and earn and save and invest in those sort of things. So I think there's probably rather than a crucifixion of young people for using it i think it's a wonderful opportunity to talk about building a solid financial foundation spend as much as you like in the spending account go for it you know buy the guitars or buy the purses or go on the holidays that that's fine but if there's you know 10 percent, maybe 15 percent of your savings going towards investing on your future that's absolutely fine Interesting story. The other night I went to pick up a pizza and the bill was $42 or a couple of pizzas. And um, I had a bit of cash and I gave the weight person $52. And she said, what change do I give you? (laughs) (laughs) I uh, begrudged, but now I thank my um, primary school. And and we're in, again, a small town. So she ended up being the high school maths teacher. And we would spend the first 20, 30, sometimes 40 minutes in class standing. And she would go from person to person with either deduction or addition or subtraction or multiple, whatever that may be, such that we would learn to do mathematics on our feet. We shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, bore listeners too much with the <laughs> <laughs> stories we of ancient not. history. We should not. Okay, so cash in the bank sounds like a good deal at the moment Mm. but surely higher inflation is going to be eroding the value of that no matter how much you can get out of a term deposit these days yeah look it's a good one i think um again i go back cash in the bank a a lot of times people will think and i've heard them say that i'm sitting on cash right and and I'm, i'm sort of sitting idle okay you might hear idle cash i don't subscribe to that point of view doing nothing is doing something It actually is an investment choice to sit in cash. And so what I would encourage the listeners to do is to think about your asset allocation, i.e. between risk on and risk off. That's probably a nice bifurcation or a nice place to start. Think about those two buckets. In my risk off bucket, cash is an option, but there are other options. You've just mentioned term deposits. There's fixed interest or bonds. Um, You might even then start to venture into some other income-producing assets. They might be good quality blue-chip shares. They might be real estate investment trusts. They might even be some EFTs, whatever the case may be. But that mix... ETFs. (laughs) Oh, my God. Thank God you're here. ETS. Thank you, exchange-traded funds. But that mix is risk-off. And then the other bucket you can think about, obviously, are equities foreign exchange, commodities, whatever the case may be in the, in the risk on scenarios. So I'd probably think about that. Um, then when I think about 
sort of how I run my portfolio, if we talk about that for a second, I probably think a third, a third, a third. A third of it, I want to really probably go easy on myself. You know, it, it may or may not produce market-like returns. And I'll tend to benchmark that against a relevant index. It might be the ASX, might be the S&P 500 or the Euro, if that, that's, you know, that's where I am. A third of it, I want to do better than market. You know, I want to have some um, beta on top of that. You know, as opposed to just the alpha returns. And that's um, picking individual stocks, yeah. for example. It, yeah. Look, it might be, but mm-hmm. it but it also might be, and, and maybe we'll get to this a little bit later, I think how, again, not plugging Saxo, but what, what I would say is whatever you're using, you know, whether it be a platform or an online broker, start to think about individual stocks, but start to think about a whole universe out there. And what I mean by that is don't be constrained just by Australia. Don't be constrained just by the US even. And again, I tend to notice with Australian investors, it's Australia first, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And it then might be US second. But my God, you know, we sit in around about 3 billion people who are really industrious here in the Asia Pacific region. And there are um, squillion opportunities in that region. And obviously, um, I think another house view, in fact, I know a house view that we have at Saxo, is that European markets and European economies are probably going to outperform North America over 23 and 24. So in that proportion of your portfolio, that's probably where you should start to venture. Oh, get, get into the luxury brands, huh? Yeah, well, and look, that's, that's the last third. The last third is where, again, call it fun, but where I'm going to really start to use my economics background. I'm going to, going to start to think about themes. I might look at a theme called, well, the Fed, and Mr. Powell in the last couple of days has reaffirmed that we are starting to move toward disinflation as opposed to inflation. And remember, I was actually very fortunate to spend some time with Philip Lowe um, earlier this year, and he reminded us of a simple thing. Inflation is the rate of change. So if we think about getting into a car, that's acceleration. So zero to 100 kilometers an hour, that's accelerating. But once we're at 100... And we're in a Lambo at the moment. Well, hopefully, or or, or an Audi or (laughs) even my nice little Skoda. (laughs) But once we've reached that sort of terminal velocity or velocity of 100 k's an hour, we're not accelerating. We're actually going at a pace, and that's called speed. And certainly as the heat comes out, certainly as interest rates start to bite, and they already have... I think the other big moving part is with China coming back online, which it is. They've certainly relaxed policies over there and starting to consume again. And not the least of which supply chains are starting to free up. You know, let's not forget there's a European or an East European war going on. So with all those moving factors, probably not the war, but certainly the other factors starting to alleviate those supply constraints and interest rates biting, Um, Inflation is starting to turn. What does that mean? What it means is there's a tremendous opportunity. There's a tremendous opportunity in commodities. There's a tremendous opportunity, particularly in foreign exchange. And if your investors haven't ventured there, I'd encourage them to. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Super is one of the most important investments you'll ever make. But how do you know if you're in the best fund for your situation? Head to lifesherpa.com.au to find out more. Life Sherpa, Australia's most affordable online financial advice. But for novice investors who mm. would be listening, presumably, to this <clears throat> podcast, how do they approach sectors like commodities and uh, foreign exchange, for example? I think, again, I'll go back to my BT days, my Bankers Trust days, you know, up on level four there. It was the size of a couple of football fields. There were massive TV screens. There were a lot of men. Not that there's anything wrong with that. They were all in pinstripe suits, et cetera, et cetera. It was very patriarchal and it was very big bank. And that kind of is a problem for me. And that's certainly a problem for us at Saxo. So what and we- it's a problem for investors. And it's a problem no for- no idea about how to exactly. approach markets. Yeah, and ha- I, I can't go and knock on the door at level mm. four of the Halcyon Halls and say, I want access to commodities or I want access to, to Forex or, or currency exchange. You, you kind of can't do it. Well, now you can. You know, on, again, on a mobile device or an iPad or I tend to use screens at home um, through- our platform, but certainly through other platforms, you can also you can access FX, you can access foreign exchange. How do you express that? You might simply invest in a pair. I'll give you an example. The US dollar, we believe, will start to roll over. That is, start to turn. And like, uh, go down in value. Go down in value. Yeah, yeah. Compared to the Aussie dollar, yeah. Yeah, compared to the Aussie dollar. If we think about, probably focus on either dollar yen or Aussie dollar, US dollar. So let's focus on Aussie dollar to begin with. We think about some of the moving parts we've just spoken about. China's coming back online. What does that mean? It means that um, they'll consume more of the things that we dig up, okay? Iron ore, et cetera, et cetera. Copper, lithium with EVs consuming more lithium, et cetera, et cetera. So that energy play, that commodities play, the hard commodities um, will be consumed more. What does that mean? That means they need to be paid for in Australian dollars. So you could argue that there'll be a demand for Aussie dollars. The other big moving part is, again, think back to Mr. Lowe. He bumped up interest rates here another 25 basis points or a quarter of a percent this week. So did the Fed. It could be said that the Fed is probably a little ahead of us. Okay, so they probably got another couple of rate rises to go. And that's what we think as a house, as a Saxo house. We also think that's consistent for the RBA. So maybe the Fed's a little bit ahead in their tightening cycle and maybe they might move towards easing before we do. But either way, we think that there might be a nice demand for the Aussie dollar. And on the flip side, there might be less demand for the US dollar with lower interest rates. So that's a really cool thing to express, and you can do that with FX. The other thing I would encourage the listeners to think about is if, Phil, you own Apple shares or Microsoft or Tesla, anything that's denominated in another currency, in this case, US dollars, because you're buying it on the NASDAQ or you're buying it on the Dow or you're buying a stock over in Germany or you know with the euro, you're already a Forex trader you're already exposed to currency. And look, it's alarming to me when somebody books a trip to Disneyland, that might be the first time they ever think about their Aussie dollars. 
You know, they might think, oh my God, the Aussie dollar is going to go down. I might buy some now or do I buy it later? But gee, in your super fund right now, um, and if you're an investor right now in anything that's other than Australian, you're already doing this. So if you're not looking at this space, you're doing yourself a disservice as an investor. So again, just getting back to the question then, how does a new investor look at foreign exchange? I mean, we're talking about an ETF, EFT? <laughs> yep. Or, uh... Yep. Yeah, good question. Sorry. And thank you for being back on track. This, this, look, there's a million different ways I'll give you two. Mm-hmm. One is back to our EFT slash ETFs. There's some great ones here. Um, I'm not sure if I can plug any one, but I, you know, wow. I, I, I've used BetaShares, for example. Mm-hmm. They certainly live on the Saxo platform. Um, they're nice and clean and easy to understand. On the topic of ETFs, by the way, just a little bit of digging, a simple Google search, jump on, and please, please, please have a look at the T's and C's. How is that ETF um, set up? What is it invested in? The fees and charges, you can look at that as well. They're generally pretty consistent across the industry, but I'd really, really encourage the investor to take just a few minutes just to do a little bit of digging on um, on what that ETF is doing and what is it seeking to express. Mm. So for my cash equity, you know, my long investors who are looking for things to go up in markets, generally, that's generally what an investor wants. That's probably not a bad way to go. The other way to do it is to actually get a little bit sexier, if I'm allowed to say that, and that is to actually trade currency. And you know what? It's pretty easy. If I have a view that the Aussie dollar is going to appreciate against the US dollar, I buy the Aussie dollar and I'll buy an Aussie dollar US dollar pair. And you can do that through FX spot. Mm. Again, nice and easy. You can do it with very little money as well. So there's very little capital outlay. This is very capitally efficient uh, or a capital efficient trade. Um, So again, I would probably start small. For the listeners who are interested, we've got plenty of education on the Saxo platform and you're more than welcome and we can share the links and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, we'll put that in the notes because this is interesting. This is something we haven't really covered ever on the podcast is foreign exchange. Right. Commodities, we've done quite a bit and alternative assets and bonds and um, fixed income markets, but never never foreign exchange. Yeah, it's probably my favourite topic. And the reason I love it is... Again, being in the industry for so long, I was so um, personally so uh, invested mm. <laughs> in being invested and, and being long. And it's particularly coming to Saxo, I've now realized that, um, yeah, there's just a, a whole world of opportunity out there for investors to hedge their portfolio. You know, again, you've got a hundred grand invested or a million dollars invested in the US markets. Why aren't you hedging it? You know, mm. think of it like an insurance policy that sort of sits on the sideline. If US stocks are going up, that's great. But if you your currency is going the other way, well, then you're eroding your investment gains. So why wouldn't you hedge against that? And you can do that. You know, you can do that in a relatively capital efficient way. Those insurance policies are, are pretty cheap. So let's look at an investor who's coming to markets for the first time, right here, right now, in the start of 2023. Mm. Mm. What would you suggest for them to look at and um, the ways to approach markets? Well, I think the first thing, I'd probably say three things. I think the first thing I would say is get started. Okay, Every day, every week, every month that goes by, you're missing out. Mm. And this is not about fear of missing out, but this is about learning. You know, th- This is about putting your toe or your feet in the water. 
I think if I extend that analogy, maybe you don't want to completely jump in, you know, and if you completely jump in the deep end, you might not drown, but certainly you might flail around a little bit. So probably two things I would suggest. The first thing that I would suggest is have a look, just sit back for a moment, Phil, and have a look at what is the total amount that you want to invest. Now that might be a lump sum. It might be 10K, might be 50K, might be 100, whatever that amount is. And then what is the ongoing amount that you can contribute? And I would really encourage people to especially focus on the ongoing. A lot of people think about the upfront. Okay, I've saved that 10 grand or I've got the 100K in super. Let's press the go button. Mm. And that can be psychologically difficult because you're treading into the markets and into the unknown and you're jumping into that water for the very first time. So I thoroughly encourage people to consider dollar cost averaging. What does that mean? It's a fancy way of saying slowly dipping into the water over time. So 100K example, you might take 12 months to deploy that. You might automatically put, what is it, wherever it is, 8,000 something or other into the markets every single month. And on top of that, if you then have surplus cash flow, might be 500 a month, might be 1,000 a month, whatever that may be, might be your superannuation contributions every quarter or every month paid by your employer, whatever that may be, deploy it and just do it on an automatic basis. Why does that help? It helps because you're spreading your timing into the market. You're not necessarily jumping in on a low, so you might miss out on that, but you're also not necessarily jumping in on a high. If we think about it mathematically, it's a bit hard to describe verbally on a podcast, but if we think about it, listeners, mathematically, if you do get that dip in the markets as you're investing over time, you're simply buying more. The markets are on sale. Great. So you're buying more of what you normally would. You're buying more units in a fund or more Uh, shares or whatever the case may be. So you're just buying more, which is great because when markets then do recover, which they always do, history always shows, sometimes it takes a little longer, then you've simply got more units at the end of that recovery. So that's dollar cost averaging. The second thing I'd probably, again, going back to our our favorite ETFs, um, my view is if I know something, I I know, talking about Forex before, I kind of know that. I'm pretty comfortable with it. That's how I'll express it. I know technology pretty well. So I'll express through individual stocks. So they're my wheelhouses, for example. I started to look at cyber, um, in particular the last couple of years, and um, cyber defense. Cyber cyber security, security, I should say. Apologies. And this is very much a house view of ours. It's been consistent at Saxo for the last 18 months. And I would suggest it's consistent for the years to come. And it makes sense. We have, again, a war in Europe. We have nations attacking each other on a cyber basis. Um, It's happening here in Australia with some big health funds and so on. So that I I look for industries that are mandated. Mm. Okay. And it is now mandated for every single business to have a level of cyber security. So from an investment theme, let's ride that wave. Now, you ask the question as to how to express that. I don't know the market that well. It's kind of new for me. I don't know the names. I don't know the companies. So I simply look at a basket of ETFs that express that view. 
dollar cost averaging, yep. and you're saying that uh, people are buying um, at, at any particular time, mm. and the market's up, market's down. So sometimes they're on sale, sometimes things are expensive. Yep. But this gets away from the idea, which many people have about markets, mm. is that you have to time them. Yeah, T- time in the market versus time in. Um, look, if I'm an FX trader who um, is living minute by minute, um, sometimes at the very most hour by hour, um, or I'm a commodities trailer, trader who's looking at nothing but oil, mm-hmm. um, one of my, or one of our largest clients at, in, in the Australian office here at Saxo, 24-7, 365, he looks at copper. That's it. Doesn't look at anything else. He is timing the market. They are timing the market. And that is absolutely what a trader must do. And for your listeners, maybe that's what you start to do with some parts of your portfolio. And the question I would sort of ask is, what's the return in your time? Okay, so if you're sitting in front of a screen all day, every day, looking for a few hundred dollars here or a few hundred dollars there, maybe that's not- Scalping, scalping. Yeah, scalping, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, and every now and again, it's fun to scalp, okay, and, and to pick up on something. And in a busy life that I have, I might do that every now and again. Uh, But really what pays dividends is time in the market. You know, I go back to the earlier comment of the GFC. Uh, I go back to the comment of Warren Buffett picking over the bones of Goldman Sachs, for example, or, you know, wading into those big businesses that were completely and utterly on the nose. That took some time to investigate, no doubt. But that also took some time to play out. Um, in some cases, between five to seven years. And his re- returns were three, four, five times what he originally put in. So, again, I go back to my little old ladies buying Commonwealth Bank at $25 at, at the depths of the GFC. And fast forward four and five years, those little old ladies picked up $5 every year on their $25, which is a great return in terms of dividends. And five, six, seven years later, the stock had quadrupled. So timing the market potentially from opportunities that do pop up, great, and and start to average in or dive on in, but allow time for that thematic to roll on and actually express and play out. That's the trick. And that's, I think, where a lot of people got get lost. Yeah, because everyone gets a short-term view and then they suddenly see some red on their screen and um, often panic. Yeah, and I think, look, I keep a little diary. And it's not fancy, it's a spreadsheet. And it's a little reminder. You know, I bought into cyber, by the mm-hmm. way, in my self-managed super fund, middle of last year. And at the end of the last year, it was pretty red. Mm-hmm. You know, why was it red? Because interest rates still were a little heady. Inflation was still looking a bit toppy. And tech stocks were on the nose. But as that was red, I quickly had a look at the little reasons why. I bought that in the or invested in the first place. And it's everything we just spoke about. Governments have mandated it. It's owing, only going in one direction. These are subscription businesses. Okay. So they're locked in. Oh, nice sort of those beautiful software as a service kind it, of businesses. Exactly. They're it? SaaS yeah. businesses or mm-hmm. they're government mandated or they're government contracted. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about something like a Lockheed Martin, um, something like 99.9% of its revenue is, is, is a provided by the US Department of Defense. So if it's on the nose, that's fine. Um, I just simply have that little spreadsheet reminder 
my, my trading diary, my investment diary, and I, I, I soldier on. Yeah, well, I think that's a really important for listeners to understand is having a diary and actually being able to refer to the reasons why you built, bought a particular company, ETF, or whatever, whatever investment it is, just to remind yourself, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, mm. and I think you can also learn, you know, I go back to diaries past where mm. I'm sort of things haven't played out. Okay, what did I learn there? Did I allocate too much to that? Did mm-hmm. I not hedge? You know, what was the learnings in terms of why I did that? Again, you know, plugging the Saxo sort of education, there is an absolute ton on the website. Um, a couple of things I'd get listeners to look at. Firstly, the 2% rule. Um, what does that mean? It means a mathematical way of how you might allocate between an individual holding or an individual share. So start to think about, am I really, the old adage of putting all your eggs in one basket probably doesn't make sense for 40% or 30% or even 20 or 10% of your holdings to be in one position. So you want to start to think about how you split that out. Um, Other things, as we've already spoken about, about dollar cost averaging, you know, the other thing that you can consider even as a long investor, that is a long-term investor, where do I take my profits? You know, how do I set that rule for myself? But equally, at what stage does the red become too red and too dark that I simply exit um, that mm. as well? And that's the real trick, I think, as well, is is takes a lot of guts um, to buy and invest. Takes even more guts to take profit. But by gosh, you've got to have nerves of steel to take a loss. And I think taking a loss, you can limit those losses and take them prudently and simply do them largely unemotionally, not your fault, just hasn't played out. Take the loss, move on, redeploy the capital to somewhere that is going to work out over time. Okay, David, tell us a bit more about Saxo Markets and what uh, Saxo Markets have to offer listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love working here. And the reason I love working here is I get to do this. You know, we get to talk to investors on a broad base around how to express their investment themes or uh, trading ideas. Uh, Saxo is 30 years old. We started predominantly as an FX, so that big foreign exchange sort of provider uh, out of Northern Europe. And today we have uh, 12 offices around the globe, around about 60,000 plus products on the platform. So more than you can poke a stick at. And for the investor uh, here in Australia or your listeners, there's, there's a couple of different ways that you can sort of use uh, the platform or use us. The first I might point you towards is Saxo Investor, and that's nice and clean and easy, and that's probably where an investor would go largely long only. They might buy some individual shares, they might buy some ETFs or some bonds. A step up from that is Saxo Trader Go, and that's more of a trading platform. So again, you can go long only and build a portfolio, but that's where, Phil, you can start to add in some of those things that we spoke about. So you might have a view on commodities, you might have a view on currency um, or some other markets. The other great thing about um, that platform and all of our platforms is they're multi-currency. So what does that mean? It means that you might start out with Aussie dollars, but you can start to hive off into US dollars or um, the euro or yen or whatever the whatever the flavor of the day may be. So, so that's a great one to look at. Um, the other great part about Saxo Trader Go is it's also mobile. So how I'll tend to use it is I might do some of my analysis on a screen, but then late at night I might get out the iPad or the iPhone and, and, and sort of trade that way or at least keep tabs on what the portfolio is doing. 
the last iteration is Trader Pro. It's actually the sexiest one. So lots of screens. And I think, um, you know, for your listeners, you can check it out. You can download it. Uh, that's not mobile, by the way. You can download it. It's actually really good. I tend to use it for my deeper analysis. So I don't use it every day, but I certainly get Trader Pro out when I want to do some deep investigation on a particular holding or a particular stock. Mm. Can I just pick you up on a point there? Mm. When you say an investor might have a, a view on a particular sector or a, a stock, for example, mm. how do people, what's the best way for them to try and avoid being taken in by a story mm. as opposed to having a legitimate view that's got some solid background in detailed information? Gee, that's a good question. I, I, I love that question. Because it's easy to say, I've got a view about something. You yeah. Know? I think iron ore is going to go up. I think copper is going to go down. <laughs> Whatever, you know. But how do you, how do you add meat to those ideas? Look, it's a, it's a great question. And I think the paradox is um, we have information overload, of course. Mm. And so the question is, um, you know, where do I source my information from? I'm probably at a point where I've just cut, 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 cut. You know, I tend to live on a minimalist sort of diet of information. And it comes from probably three, maybe four different sources for me. And so, you know, and it's kind of not relevant to the conversation as to what those sources are. I think what is more relevant is I know them. I I trust them. uh, They have a track record of providing salient, prescient information. sort of factual information. So that's sort of my core. But I will then look for speakers or presenters or the David Harveys or whatever the world that do provide an opinion. And I will segregate my information between fact and opinion. And that's a nice little tension for me because I can have a look at the facts and I can sort of apply my rationale to what that means and form that view and in inverted commas but then i will look to some trusted sources for opinions and again at saxo we've got 30 strategists globally please start there you know we have our own podcast as well phil probably That's not right, not yeah, not, as, not as not not as good as yours but you know probably three four times a week when i'm in the car i'll flick that on and i'll listen to some opinions of really, really, really highly intelligent SMEs or subject matter experts. I'll listen to John Hardy, who does nothing but FX. That's where I get my FX opinion from. <clears throat> or I might listen to Ole, um, who, who talks to us about commodities. I might listen to good old Ross Gittins, who's still going around in terms of macroeconomics. So I'll pick an expert in a particular field that's of interest to ratify the view that I have. And also, presumably, to help the learning process as well. Yeah. Because ex- not everyone's going to have the same amount of experience that you have. And um, this is the way that you learn. Exactly. And how you can form an op- opinions. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Uh, so no one on Twitter with rocket emojis then? <laughs> you know, funnily enough, I, I kind of don't. I don't Twitter too mm-hmm. much. I do a fair bit on LinkedIn um, uh, and, and less on the other platforms as well. But no. No, no, uh, no, nothing in that realm. As such. As such. <laughs> <laughs> David Harvey, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. 
And Phil, thank you, mate. And, and, and for the listeners out there and, and to you, this kind of conversation I love having mm-hmm. because it's a great little pause in our busy lives to actually think about how should we do things and how can we better our own lives and, and take control mm-hmm. of our own financial future. So I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.